Either way, let's just get this thing started. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to a new edition of the show. Um, hopefully, this whole new setup I'm doing works out pretty well because I've been sort of struggling to... Um, <laughs> I've been sort of struggling to get the exact perfect streaming setup. And this one seems to be okay. It doesn't seem to be too laggy at all. It seems much less laggy, and I'm on a million freaking platforms. Um, and yeah. And I got on Odyssey, too. And I'm recording. So that's all stuff I wasn't doing last time. So let me just run this intro graphic. We'll get right to it. So, hey everyone, welcome to Digital Cash Rundown. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm joined by the wonderful and happy, I hope happy, Eric Olson. How's it going, Eric? Pretty good. Yeah, you have the happy doge there in the background somewhere, so I'll yeah, hope hope he makes a little little appearance at some point, but you know, in the meantime, um, yeah. So, real quick for everyone, for you know, the viewers at home and all that stuff, which is a fun way to address people, uh, if you want to jump into the live crypto super chat, either on, you either go to Odyssey and use the hyper chat function. So you type something out and do a little credit next to it, and then you add a credit to it, and then I will answer that. Or you go to cointr.ee/slash the desert lakes, and then, yeah, you just go there and it'll give a little donation, a message, and you're good. I'm just gonna say hey everyone on Odyssey. Two people watching there right now. And um, also, real quick note on the Odyssey thingy, um, I'd be doing the Dash podcast immediately after this one. And if you're on Odyssey, you just stay right there. You just don't close the tab at all. Don't close the window at all. If you're not on Odyssey, if you're on YouTube, for example, or Twitter or whatever else it is, um, there's going to be another video that pops up. So that being said, uh, yeah, let's get into the, the news, the headlines and such. So apparently... Actually, you know what's funny about this? I actually closed out all the tabs on this stuff. But uh, essentially, do you remember that meme, Institutions Are Coming, of back in the day, like this was especially in the 2017, 2018 type days when you basically had uh, a lot the struggle for uh, the block size war of Bitcoin, right? You had that going on and the small block size was basically going for the um, uh, the store of value narrative. And eventually, you know, you just need, the, well, I won't say the bigger fool, <laughs> could get too political there, but you basically need other people to keep on buying in to keep this thing going up. And the whole thing is like, well, you got plenty of like individual people buying in. Now institutions are right around the corner. Institutions are coming. And that used to be like a big thing, especially during the bear market. They're like, institutions are coming. Well, now it seems like institutions have come in certain, in some ways, I'm talking of course about the grayscales and the micro strategies, et cetera, of the world. But according to this headline, uh, according to, um, what was it? PricewaterhouseCoopers crypto leader, Henry Arslanian, he's claiming that larger players from venture capital, private equity, and pension funds are outplaying smaller boutique firms and family offices from participating in the latest innovations around crypto. And yeah, he's basically, Smaller crypto investors are being sidelined in favor of the big ones. The big guns are getting in at the expense of the small guns. So uh, what's your hot take on this one real quick? I, I'm not sure what the uh, detriment is supposed to be to small investors here. What is their argument for it being a bad thing? Mm. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily arguing that small investors are you know, it's a bad thing if they get in or not. It's just that the big investors seem to be the ones getting in. It seems like the share of the crypto pie, as it were, is going to the big players rather than small players. And, of course, there's always that risk that that, you know, there's always that chance that that kind of pushes the system to be in the hands of the same kind of people who are in charge of the old financial system. Uh, do you see that happening at all? Or if so, do you see there to be much of an issue with that? Or, you know, what's your take? I think it really depends on the coin. Um, it's interesting to see where the big players put their money. 
Um, I don't really have necessarily a lot of confidence in their strategy as far as picking. I think it, it seems to mostly be top down on the market cap list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. If the, if it's a good network, then it shouldn't really be purchasable by the existing players. Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest concern in, in my eyes is players like uh, existing payment processors like PayPal and Square. I see them kind of adopting Bitcoin and attempting to be the ones who hold all the Bitcoin and people still do all their transactions through them. And that to me is somewhat concerning, but I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in using cryptocurrency as a currency and that doesn't really fit the use case anyway at this point. So I, I see it more as a stalling tactic Mm. as far as investors. I'm not sure the, uh, the large investors are really looking all that closely. I think they're kind of using it as a hedge. Yeah. Well, that, that's kind of a, if there's kind of a couple angles to that first is first, what you're saying is they're going top down on the list. They're going, you know, what's the big coin? What's the big ones up high on the coin market cap list? Not necessarily what are the, what are the resilient technologies? What are the, um, the things that will actually liberate a lot of people have a huge, amazing use case. Not necessarily that kind of deep research. It's just like, let's just have a piece of the pie of like the top ones. And so basically, yeah, I kind of, first off, I sort of agree with that assessment. That does seem to be the way things are going. Um, and that kind of means you got to relentlessly innovate if you have a problem with these kinds of players having a, a large, significant stake in the way things are going. Um, now because then you know the up-and-coming projects like how many giant vcs have anything invested in let's just say library probably literally zero literally no one with a lot of money has anything in there kind of despite despite being one of the most popular being the backbone of one of the most popular alt video sites out there and increasingly growing decentralized content ecosystem which i think is very disruptive and in a purely good way and despite that, like just being completely glossed over because there's an SEC lawsuit and other things, but then you have like the big, the big few that they're just throwing money into and seeing where it goes. Um, but you're also, it's an interesting thing. You're saying that you don't really care too much what money, what like who has a bunch of crypto. It's more, are they throttling the payments experience? Are they kind of the gatekeepers of using it? It's like I don't care if. Bank of America buys half of crypto of Bitcoin supply, but if I can't, if Wells Fargo is processing everyone's Bitcoin payments, PayPal is processing everyone's Bitcoin payments. That's kind of the issue you're seeing. Is that kind of right? Yeah, as long as it's usable, I you know, if Bank of America can make a buck on it as well, that doesn't really bother me. Um, I think there, I think there's actually a lot of opportunity for smaller investors here. The the big players historically have done a pretty poor job of predicting um, innovation, uh, of predicting how radical new technologies will change things. Now, I've, I've followed uh, especially the computer industry, computer hardware and such for a long time. And most recently, Tesla is a, a prime example of major players completely dropping the ball or even making astonishingly large bets against innovative technology with no apparent understanding as to how it's going to, even now, most of them are, there's a ton of denial. Mm. Um, But anybody that looks really close at what's going on with these companies, how competitive their product lineups are going to be, what kind of margins they're going to end up with. um, The analysts are just, they're out in space somewhere not seeing what's going to happen, not seeing the disruption that is now at this point, very obviously coming. Um, and that's, you know, that's an obvious case, uh, of a company in a well-established industry with known variables, uh, crypto, on the other hand, uh, anything could happen here. Somebody could come up with an app tomorrow or, uh, some odd use case or, you know, viral game or campaign or something that, 
radically changes the entire environment and is essentially just a black swan. Um, so I, I think they're bad at predicting or they're bad at paying attention to, to obvious uh, changes, disruptions. Yeah. Uh, and we have a situation where there's nobody really knows how things are going to be disrupted exactly. And they're basically just they're buying the things that most people are talking about or that the most people have apparently invested in or have the largest market cap or maybe that the most other big companies have already gone for. They're kind of uh, I don't see any real evidence that the large investors are really doing their own due diligence on figuring out, you know, what uh, cryptos are best to invest in. I think they're I think it's a pretty shallow uh, understanding here. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that assessment. Uh, and of course, as well as like the risk assessment, like who cares if certain big entities get rich off this stuff too. The one thing where that does make it a little sketchy, I guess, is mostly is in, of course, like market manipulation and uh, especially proof of stake. So when you have... Um, of course, I'm even thinking like the, I don't know if these big institutions are smart enough to figure out how to participate in the DEX economy and be liquidity providers, et cetera, and that thing, which, you know, that kind of makes it better. But in the old world, right, if they're making a big splash on the big exchanges, then it's easier to manipulate the price. Now, which, of course, if enough people are using this stuff, it doesn't matter as much. But when you have it in actual, like, affecting the decentralization or the censorship resistance of it, that's when you start to have a little bit of an issue. Like, let's say one, like, Bank of America, or let's just say, you know, the all the big banks collectively control two-thirds of the supply of a proof-of-stake coin, say Ethereum, in the future. It's not proof-of-stake now, but it supposedly will be very soon. Then, if, let's just say, the government decides they want to crack down on something or they want to implement mandatory KYC for these or just they want to do some kind of nonsense then it would be relatively easy to just twist the arm of these major corporations these especially banks and just say hey you guys run a big part of Ethereum infrastructure why don't you block this latest proposal why don't you do this other thing and of course like the more conspiracy minded or and I'm not saying that necessarily as an insult by the way <laughs> could very well be true but I've said of what happened with uh, Bitcoin's development change to go for the small block rather than a big block type approach, that that was kind of an example of the banking industry conspiring, getting together and paying off developers and stuff, which may or may not be true. I'm not here to rehash that whole thing. But yeah, I don't know. Do you think that proof of stake is more vulnerable to this kind of institutional push than say like a proof of work coin or maybe something completely different? Not so much i mean it are as you pointed out arguably has happened with bitcoin already which isn't proof of stake mm -hmm. um there you just have uh you know a set of miners can they be manipulated or you know maybe even higher level than that if there is if this is what is being developed for it you know um do you do you just adopt what the developers have been pushed to do mm -hmm. um, i think in my opinion, proof of stake as far as a governance model is better than solely having proof of work because mm -hmm. then at least you have the holders. So in your hypothetical where say all the big institutions own two thirds of all the Ethereum, uh, which seem, seems a little outlandish to me, but let's say yeah. they do, um, who are they really attacking? You know, They're attacking themselves and the potential value of their own token. Um, and that, that's only a good play if you think you can pull all these shady shenanigans and still retain market dominance, um, I don't think that's very likely. I think there's a strong enough um, advantage to having an actually decentralized network for things like smart contracts that if Ethereum becomes controlled by you know a handful of big financial institutions, essentially people will just use a different chain or fork ethereum into a different chain um and then all the people who sabotage their own network are left with a coin that is you know less useful than what everybody else has decided to use and maybe they retain a larger market cap but 
end users can still choose to use the network that suits their needs. Um, I'm not, I think it's the kind of thing that could really slow down adoption for a while. And I think that's kind of happened with Bitcoin, whether it's intentional or not. Uh, but as we've seen with Bitcoin, people just go to other projects. I still want to use crypto as a currency. So I sold my Bitcoin. I have Dash and Bitcoin Cash. And, you know, if other coins come along that make a strong case for being a currency that I can spend at stores, I'll use those too. You know, if, uh, if Dogecoin storms the world and becomes easily spendable and usable everywhere, I'll use Dogecoin. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me particularly which coins I can use as long as, um, as long as we get people generally into crypto, it's a pretty trivial thing to swap back and forth, especially with DEXs coming online. Yeah, I think that is interesting and spot on in terms of like the, the consumer choice thing. Every time, I do think every time you disrupt a major network that everyone's on, it's just so much harder to get people to go off something else. Like Facebook and Twitter, social media censorship, which by the shout out to everyone watching on Facebook and Twitter, is a little poorly timed, but uh, it's damaging because it's not just, well, use a different thing. It's like, well, most people, most of the competitors have been choked out by Facebook and Twitter legitimately through outcompeting them. And now that they're starting to be, now it's just harder to get people to move over to alt networks. And every single time I see people like move to alt networks, it, it's more, it, you can do it, right? But it, it becomes a little, a little bit more annoying. But that being said, um, the free market always triumphs. And there is, sometimes we do not understand the mysterious ways of the market. But the market is clearly selected for crypto is in the short term, I guess. There's other things it's for, of course. But one thing it's for is mad gains. And to put that in a less like a, a less disrespectful way, uh, it's basically people were shut out of the investment sphere. In small, small players especially. They were not able to get it on early on investments and things like that, having to jump through a bunch of hoops. And so crypto is something you just buy and then maybe you make it rich, right? You can just invest like five bucks in like Bitcoin, you make it rich or something. And then you get, of course, the DeFi space where, I mean, a lot of it is, yeah, building infrastructure that no one can censor. But a lot of it is also, I can stake my, I can buy my token that I hope goes up. In the meantime, I stake it here. And then I use the, like the staked wrap credits that come from there to, to put in a different pool and get liquidity on that, on that, and get like 140% APY or something like that. Like that's kind of what has really, the market has told us that it wants for the for a big you know chunk of the stuff and if you start having let's just say kyc ethereum and people can't really do that anymore they're gonna leave in droves for whatever does let them do that and i think that's also been one of the reasons why payment coins haven't really taken off is because people can kind of buy what they want right now they don't really need them yet but as soon as they need them ooh, you know they're gonna jump over right away yeah, well, I, I think most of the crypto market is less interested in using crypto than they are in playing games and making bets to try to mm -hmm. make more money off of whatever movements and trends and stuff. And that's, you know, that's kind of a side game in my eye. Um, the, the thing as far as swapping between coins, too, is it's really not at all like the social networks in mm -hmm. Facebook dominate social networks because you are the product on that network and for you to move over as one person is it's kind of difficult for you uh, for a uh for you to switch your cryptocurrency from one to another um it's basically going to be a tap of a button at some point and uh accepting a thousand different cryptocurrencies isn't that much harder than accepting two um you know you already have payment processors like coinpayments.net that essentially let you take every currency possible and instantly swap it into whatever you want. And yeah, my guess that exists. is that at some point, any crypto, any payment crypto that is used by more than 1% of the market is probably going to be supported almost everywhere because there's essentially no cost to retailers or payment processors to support one more coin. Um, mm -hmm. It's just... It, it is right now because there's a very low uh, user base. Right now, you add something and three people use it, and it just doesn't matter for your store, maybe even not for your payment processor. 
but if you get 100 million people using crypto and 1% are using some obscure coin, why not add it? You know, that's that's 1% more potential customer. Um, it, there just there really isn't a strong drawback um, as long as the costs or as long as you think the gains of supporting that coin are worth more than uh, the cost of making sure your node software is up to date and, uh, you know, dealing with whatever on, you know, the payment processor needs to do on their end, which uh, is expensive at small scale, but at large scale, when you're talking about millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, just it isn't, it, it isn't a, a, a meaningful expense. Mm. That is true that switching between coins that you use is very simple on like on a technical level for the most part. I mean, there's of course a technical headache to integrate some things. Good thing is most of these things are a little bit of a, a lot of Bitcoin copies out there or things that are based off the Bitcoin code base, including Doge, of course, there's your little Doge back there. It's always great to have a appearance on camera, but it's uh, the, the platform migration thing is what gets annoying. And when I think about it, every single time there's that like platform migration problem in crypto, it has less to do with technical problems and has more to do with either like fatigue or um, more often crypto politics. So for example, uh, purse.io did not only took Bitcoin for the longest time. And then that old shapeshift widget for people to like indirectly pay with other things. But he was, you know, eh. and then it took them and BitPay forever to, you know, integrate anything other. And then they still kind of just do Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. They haven't done a bunch of other coins. Uh, I know uh, BitPay has done a few more, including just Doge right now, which is a little bit of a slap in the face to people that use Dash, for example. Cause just oh it got it up in the thing we'll, we'll offer it too but you know again people demand people demand that businesses take dogecoin they don't really want to spend the dogecoin but there is a consumer demand for a business that takes it even if they don't want to actually it's kind of weird it's like if you see we take dogecoin you're going to go to that brewery and you're going to have a pint there and pay with your card right but you're still going to go when you wouldn't have otherwise gone because of that so yeah it is kind of a, a kind of that way so we did have a couple even though they didn't pay any money the misers um we did have a couple of live chat questions first off pj mandrino says so question who is eric olson what is his role in the cryptosphere is he a dev and if so for what crypto so yeah the kind of like i just sort of said hey my buddy here but didn't really introduce you if you want to be introduced so i don't know oh, how would sure. you introduce uh, yourself i'm unfortunately not a developer not not my area of knowing how to do things. Um, no, I'm just a, an enthusiast. I've uh, been in, you know, uh, Bitcoin for quite a while, um, since about 2011, um, and more recently, other coins. Um, worked with ATMs, um, mostly just an enthusiast. Um, haven't, uh, I'm not directly affiliated with any of the, any of the projects, not on the team or payroll of anybody i'm uh, i'm just interested in in the technology and in the practical use of things that get built on top of crypto yeah which is you know the way it should be of course that's the thing about crypto is you don't need to be somebody to be somebody like all the the bigger players and stuff it's just like who's that guy i just he's an og he's been around forever it's like who cares um, I, I teach people how to use crypto and answer their questions. I've been running a, a local meetup here pretty much weekly, uh, missing a few now and then over the last, what, like seven years now, eight mm -hmm. years? I don't know. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm, the, I'm an information resource, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is, of course, very uh, valuable. Like, I could say the same thing for me. Like, I don't know who the hell am I. I'm just some dude. Why are you listening to me? But please keep listening to me, by the way. Uh, I've done talks at events, and pretty much it's me talking and people listening to me, mostly by virtue of me being the only one that was interested or knew anything about the topic in the area at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so we got this thing here, too. We're talking about decentralized exchanges. Well, it looks like the world's biggest 
as far as I know, it's the biggest exchange. Binance has been running into some issues in Malaysia in particular here. Binance has been banned in Malaysia, given 14 days notice to shut down operations. Uh, and yeah, basically Malaysia is the largest regulatory theater to come after Binance as authorities in the country have access have accused the exchange giant of continuing to operate in the country illegally. So this is the latest in a big string of, <laughs> you know, bad news for Binance Day. Because um, I remember Binance was like on top of the world and they just were running everything. And then when Ethereum started getting too into their um, smart contract stuff and their DeFi stuff, then all of a sudden, hey, guess what? We got our own chain too. We're going to be Ethereum as well as the exchange that supports Ethereum. They started arbitrarily sort of I don't know if it was arbitrarily, but they started deactivating deposits or withdrawals or whatever in Ethereum from their exchange when stuff got too high. A bunch of weird shenanigans. But then, now Binance has been faced with regulatory problem after regulatory problem. And Binance was always kind of like the Wild West exchange where they're just like, let's do... like just Let's just do anything we can and kind of worry about the regulators later and kind of you know, gangster style, you know, CZ, um, Tech Zhao of Binance is known to be sort of like the gangster of the crypto space, just doing it like mafia style. And yeah, so that's pretty, um, that seems to not have paid it recent dividends. That seems to have been an effective growth strategy in the past, but now there's all these regulators coming after him, banning Binance in a bunch of jurisdictions. So first, what's your hot take on that thing? Well, um, I've never used Binance or their coin at all, so I don't have any direct knowledge of that. I, I personally am not too interested in what happens with the, the regulators there. I'm, I'm not a fan of Binance's kind of a centralized alternative to Ethereum, but I don't think that long-term it's a viable competitor to decentralized networks. People mm -hmm. are always going to have to trust and be at the mercy of Binance. And uh, I think in the long run, a, a lot more people are going to choose not to be than choose to be. Um, so I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not overly concerned um, about them, but I'm not surprised regulators are going after them either. Yeah. Well, that, that's a pretty reasonable take. Um, now, what do you think they do from here? Obviously, there's a million things one could do from here, but what do you think they're going to end up doing? Are they just going to keep on doing their fast and loose until their, their empire is just smaller and smaller? Do you think they're going to start becoming super, super compliant, lose a little bit of that like gangster edge they used to have and just become kind of one of the boys, but in a very regulated way? Do you think they're going to go in the actual decentralized route where they kind of can't be touched that much by regulators, kind of like the, the Eric Voorhees way. I think they will do whatever they think they can make the most money doing, which uh, is probably not to go full decentralized. They will probably uh, either just milk what they're doing for everything they can before they get shut down or become irrelevant, or they more likely they will probably just pivot their business model to be acceptable to enough jurisdictions to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's obviously the centralized exchange model is always going to have issues with the decentralized exchange model if it's efficient enough. And um, yeah, I won't do too many spoilers on this thing, but I did interview uh, Eric Voorhees um, and I'm going to hopefully do that, publish that interview on Tuesday about the whole turning shapeshift from an actual corporation into a completely decentralized autonomous organization. So that's to a certain extent, it might have just, I mean, obviously I think that Voorhees actually has a vision towards this, that he just would do this anyway. But it can't hurt to be looking over the over, over the pond and looking at finance and be like, yeah, today might be a good a good day to start becoming uncancelable. This is getting a little crazy. Um, well, they're in a position to try. They have yeah. a big enough chunk of the market that they can try to build their own little ecosystem that they control and, you know, uh, be Apple on phones or Microsoft on computers. And, you know, if if they have enough of the market, they can maintain that for a while and, and potentially make a lot of money off of it. 
Um, a smaller player can't really do that. A smaller player or companies coming in from the outside, that's a much harder thing to accomplish. And it probably makes more sense for them to just plug into the decentralized system, which is why I think eventually those models um, will lose, especially in, or at least be the smaller market um, because it just, it's in the interest of almost all the other players to not be at the mercy of Binance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting because they've showed to be, while they've been cutthroat or whatever, they've also shown to be cutting edge in terms of trying to, you know, one step ahead, like doing the whole listing fee and list every shitcoin under the sun kind of strategy before now everyone's sort of doing that. That's kind of what you have to do to then, you know, getting a million jurisdictions, having different versions for different jurisdictions so they can still offer everything like just one step ahead and Binance Smart Chain was one of those things where they're like, they had Binance token, which I thought was just literally, you know, a token for their company, right? Um, which I, I just thought it was just an illegal security they could use to, you know, <laughs> raise a lot of capital or whatever. But then they say, well, we're, we're jumping into the smart contract space too. Like as soon as they smell that DeFi money, they're like, Ethereum can't have all, like we, we're not satisfied providing people with their Ethereum so they can play DeFi. Like we want to be in there too. And I cannot imagine them not going full like Dex. It could have even been, by the way, their whole like pancake swap and everything else, all the bank, all the Binance um, Dex stuff, could have just been a seeing the writing on the wall kind of a thing. Of oh, people usually use us to trade in and out of between cryptos. Regulators are coming after a business model eventually. We've held them off as long as we can. Let's do a harder to regulate version before we kind of go go bankrupt so that's kind of interesting um anyway we also have finally on this thing um the mastercard ceo says we have to be in the crypto space and mastercard is angling to become the go-to for governments and private entities when testing and rolling out central bank digital currencies and stable coins so this is kind of contingent on the um, CBDCs taken off and, you know, stablecoin and stuff be like digital versions of fiat being the, the kind of thing. But basically, um, uh, as the uh, master of CEO this Thursday, Michael Meebach, we discuss, he says, what we believe we do is bring a perspective to the market as a multi-rail payment provider. We have to be in this space because people are looking for answers. So, I don't know if you remember many years ago, MasterCard was, they were quite critical of crypto. And they, they put out some ads saying like, oh, Bitcoin's like digital cash is terrible. Like, we can't have that. We need more regulations. Like, all that kind of stuff. Um, and now it seems like they've come full circle. The MasterCard is now like, yeah, we gotta be, we, we gotta be in crypto. Um, and we want to be the ones processing everyone's crypto payments. So first, what do you think of their pers of what do you think it says about the space that now they've sort of had to become part of the crypto space? I mean, going to MasterCard as your experts on crypto seems a bit like going to BlackBerry as your experts on smartphones <laughs> when you see the iPhone starting to sell or, you know, yeah. going to listening to Ford NGM talk about how they're they're going to lead electric cars five years from now. Mm -hmm. um, it it's kind of absurd. I think they're they realize that this is something they need to address and look like they are competent in try to retain their air of authority over this market. But I I don't see that happening. I I don't think there's any chance they seriously address crypto. Um, I think they're going to drag their feet and do little tiny things that don't really mean anything for especially the usage of crypto, but any kind of real adoption. Uh, maybe if they're, I think best case scenario, they try to do something like PayPal has done where they're like, oh, we accept crypto, but only if you give us your money and then spend it out of a crypto denominated account that we still control and charge you fees on. So it's really just the same system, except 
we put a, a little B or whatever symbol next to your balance instead of a dollar sign um, and nothing else has changed. It, I mean, except for maybe inflation exposure, but uh, crypto is about a whole lot more than that. I think uh, some people are trying really hard to boil down crypto to just being uh, just being a, a safe haven from that. But I, I, I don't think it's a long-term viable strategy. I, I think it's just uh, some wishful thinking and some dragging of feet. Yeah, that's probably spot on to a good degree. The thing is, today I've noticed a lot of crypto people are spending their crypto through MasterCard. <laughs> like the the like when you thinking about, um, I'm sure you're, you've watched transaction volumes across the major networks and you know it's across the big ones like say bitcoin ethereum you get some kind of volume going on and among like bitcoin sv people trying to pump up the numbers at something else but then you get like just let's just say litecoin bitcoin cash dash all like and let's just throw monero in there too right uh almost nothing like very few transactions at all almost no one's using the stuff and, you know, as much as I, you know, I'm Mr. Like, oh, rah, rah, they use Dash. People, real people are using Dash. Yeah, like, you know, four of them, but still real people, right? And the thing is, most, like, Bitcoin has gotten used, I guess, in some way, shape, or form in terms of if you claim ownership of, even not that you have the private keys, but you claim ownership of some, it's touched a lot of people, right? It's kind of gotten pretty, pretty far. And as far as those people, like how do they use their Bitcoin? It's mostly through things like MasterCard. So MasterCard in the short term is, you know, processing a lot of crypto transactions in a roundabout sort of a way. Now in the long, in the midterm, maybe, um, they may even choose to do a more direct way. Like for example, PayPal's like, Oh yeah, you can buy your crypto through PayPal. Oh yeah, you can pay your merchants through PayPal. It's just they're still in the game. And in the meantime, they're uh partnering with the Anti-Defamation League to basically censor people's payments of like groups that they don't politically agree with and stuff, which is terrible. So, do you think that Mastercard might end up actually processing a significant portion of crypto payments in the near future while people are still trying to find more direct ways of using it? A significant portion, maybe, but there's almost none, so that's kind of meaningless. I, I think the, they're not they're not terribly relevant because if if enough people start using and having crypto, you can just work around Visa, Mastercard. Well, for payments anyway, uh, they still obviously have a role to play as far as allowing people to spend money they don't actually have. Mm. Uh, that's not going to go away and it's going to be a very long time, I think, before crypto is stable enough that it's reasonable to, uh, loan people a bunch of money in crypto and hope that they will be able to pay back, you know, that crypto if they're spending it on, in dollars. I mean, we basically need to, uh, reach a point where crypto is at parity with local fiat and in most places that's a long ways away still. Uh, as far as stability. Um, so Visa and MasterCard aren't going to go away. Credit cards have a use, but credit cards as a way for you to spend money that you actually have, uh, crypto just eliminates that. It's a huge amount of overhead. We're paying a higher amount of money for virtually everything we buy because Visa and MasterCard and the banks have to get paid and um, everybody involved in that, that whole, there's a ridiculous number of people and entities involved in every credit card transaction that are all taking a little cut and it's crazy. It just, it adds a, a whole bunch of unnecessary cost to everything for nearly everyone. There, there's a handful of places that give you a cash discount, but it's such a large percentage of sales. Most places just have it worked straight into the, uh, cost of everybody's product. So even if you pay cash, you end up paying that, uh, our only way out of that is to, to work around it. I think eventually crypto gets to the point where there's a critical mass of people that are using it and businesses start accepting it directly. And there's very little need for, uh, for companies like Visa, MasterCard. And if they do want to compete in, you know, uh, POS processor space, the way BitPay does, 
um, then they have to offer competitive rates. Um, and I think uh, not they have to offer a rate that's that's good enough that people are willing to use them for the convenience of not having their not having to swap their coins themselves, which is going to get easier and cheaper over time. Yeah, I definitely agree. And this is a good spot to sort of pivot to the whole Dash Direct uh, conversation because there's a there's a lot we can learn from the different payment struggles as relates to that sort of thing. So, uh, in case you've been living under a rock, but you know whatever, <laughs> uh, there's this cool app that got released just a couple days ago called Dash Direct, which essentially lets you spend your crypto only Dash, but hey. It's a great start and it's a great finish. Uh, and he basically at hundreds of thousands of merchants around around the U.S. right now. And of course, it'll expand to other countries soon. And so basically what you do is you download this app. There's a map that just shows you which merchants close to you actually you can spend your, your crypto on. And then you can either find it yourself. They can input those directions right from the the right from the app into Google Maps or Waze, for example. You get there. You go to the checkout. All right, it's going to be 2859 or whatever it is. You put in 2859, hit pay with Dash, opens up your Dash wallet, you pay, and then you get a little barcode, then you scan, and you're done. It's just extremely easy way that you can basically spend your Dash in real life at a whole lot of places. Now, the, the interesting part about it is like the back end, the way it works. It's provided by a company called Craypay, and Craypay, they already have an app that does very similar to this, except it uses a credit card. So the way it works is by using gift codes, right? Gift cards, and for a wide variety of reasons, which I don't need to go into all of them, but basically you can get a high fiat value in gift cards for different retailers for a relative for a pretty significant discount because of let's just say first off a, a company can sell like let's just say they they sell a bunch of gift credit for 20 percent discount it's like they'd rather it's like it's pre-sold sales to them right they don't have to it's better that to take a 20 percent the better have 80 percent revenue in the hand than 100 percent revenue that you might not get all of right it's a good good that way also, a lot of gift cards are never redeemed, so they sell, they basically make sales that they never have to put the product forward to. Or a lot of people buy gift cards and then re gift them to someone. Those people don't want them, they'd rather have the cash, so it's like, what if, I have no use for Pottery Barn, for example. I just will never go there, I'm sorry. If I have a Pottery Barn gift card for $100, I'll probably take $30 just to get rid of that and get something that's real, or you know, something or crypto or whatever. And so because of all this stuff, you can get gift cards, gift cards for a significantly lower price if you know what you're doing. And so what Crepe was doing is doing this thing with, you put your credit card in and then you can, you can go and buy a credit, buy with your credit card and save like a couple percent. And, you know, I guess if it was a business, it worked right. But now by making a dash version, dash direct, they can save on that several percent credit card fee every single time and offer significantly higher discounts. And so also all the security, you don't have to have a fraud department or whatever because within a couple seconds, it's instant, it's permanently settled. It's done. So yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty great. It shows just kind of like what you're saying. People want to get away from the credit card part of things and about how much simpler crypto can make it. And also, it kind of wraps into the whole, you know, crypto for payments. Do we really need MasterCard if we have Dash Direct, for example? Uh, not really. I, do you need it? I I don't know if we if we ever needed MasterCard for it. It was kind of nice to have those crypto loadable cards, and I, I have one, mm -hmm. uh, which I occasionally use, but credit cards are a pain. Um, I can't stand using them myself. Uh, online, you have to go through a bunch of nonsense half the time to get them to work. Uh, I, I know other people tell me they don't have fraud issues, but I've had, I, I have two, three credit cards for, they get frozen or have to be replaced at least per year. Some I've had three in one month get, 
get fraud compromised. Wow. And, you know, it's, if I use them, they stop working eventually. Mm. Uh, and it's, they're just, they're not very convenient. So using a crypto loaded credit card to me, um, it doesn't really avoid the, the thing that I want to get away from, which is using the credit card. It's, it's nice that I can, you know, don't have to convert that money to dollars myself. I can hold the crypto until the moment I spend it. That's cool. Uh, but it's definitely not anywhere near the utility that we get from Dash Direct. Um, being able to have actual crypto and spend it at the checkout and have it be less trouble to do than a credit card, it's about the same amount of time to actually process. You know, you, usually you stick your card in there, you wait a little while, and hopefully it, you know, authenticates in the first try. And if not, you take out another card and do it again. And uh, Dash Direct is at least that good. Mm-hmm. But Dash Direct doesn't have the fraud issues with credit cards. Your your Dash Direct app isn't going to get frozen like your credit card will. Every time you spend, you're not giving essentially the password to your banking to every single business you do business with like you do with a credit card. Yeah, it's um, wild. It's, yeah. And the overhead cost that is normally associated with running that credit card instead of going to Visa, MasterCard, the you know, the payment processor below them and the bank below that that you actually got the card from. Uh, instead, that's all going back to you as a discount, which seems like a whole lot better thing for consumers. Um, so, yeah, it's great. Um, it's a huge step closer to, it's basically what I've been waiting for for a decade. Uh, yeah. Would I prefer it if, if, you know, all these retailers took Dash directly themselves? Sure. Uh, but as a consumer, this is almost as good. This is... This is basically what we need needed to accomplish. Yeah, and as far as just from my personal experience with spending crypto, the places that I can spend it on directly in a retail environment, in person, tend to be small independent places where you can kind of get at the owner and they're, they don't have a giant payment processor nightmare of a system that's like corporate has to oversee everything on. And so... Dash Direct tends to be the opposite, where it tends to be the larger retailers that do have like a gift code system in there that can sell them in bulk or whatever. That tends to be. So now it's like it's bridging the gap between these two big things. You know, we can, you know, go at Applebee's one day and then the cafe, the cafe around your corner or the brewery the other day. And um, yeah, it's basically it's funny, which is this could be another whole tirade about user experience that something the crypto world does not get at all they don't understand how important a user experience is that like i i had someone on reddit who of course reddit is where all all the good insight and wisdom comes from these days uh, saying like yeah it's a big nothing burger to borrow mark mason's fun, famous term it's a big nothing burger it just it just literally a repackaged gift gyft the old school bitcoin gift card app and like yeah that's like such like it's not necessarily false, but it's such an ignorant comment of don't you see how different this is? Don't you see how huge it is that the, you could, the experience is just so smooth and you get savings enough. And it just, those little things tip the scales between yeah, I'm not going to do it to I absolutely can. And it's very feasible for me to do this on paper. That's what it looks like mm-hmm. when you actually use it. It's completely different. Um, I, I can understand how someone would look at the Dash Direct website and see gift card and think, oh, this is gift mm-hmm. again. Um, but I don't use gift. It's not a user-friendly experience. It's not something that's fast enough to do at a checkout. It's not competitive with paying cash or credit card. Um, anybody who actually tries Dash Direct is going to quickly realize that, hey, uh, this is just as fast as spending cash and getting change or running your credit card through the little machine. Um, it's it's a world of difference in user experience. Um, and I, I think investors in the crypto space just don't think about the product or the service that the network is actually providing. They That's think about, funny. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're think about price go up and, you know, the the impression of their coin's name and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think just like investing in a company, 
you want to care about what that company is doing. Is this a product that people will want to use? Is this a service that that benefits the consumer of that product? Are people going to come back? Mm. Um, and I, the other problem is that sometimes that service is not for us. Um, we have to realize that those of us who are crypto enthusiasts are we're weird. We're not the we're not the average consumer. Now, I, I think ATMs are a great example of this. Almost universally, people who are investors in cryptocurrencies do not see the point in ATMs. Mm -hmm. They are an expensive and awkward way to get coins. Um, yet, a lot of business is done. There are what 50,000 ATMs now, and they're dropping them faster and faster. Why? Because there's demand. There is a customer base for whom that service is relevant. Uh, it's just not crypto investors. And crypto investors have failed to understand um, that there are people that are not served as well by the cryptocurrency exchanges, either because it's difficult to get on or they lack the technical understanding or whatever it might be. Um, the same with, with Dash Direct. Um, I, you know, I've had a, a few crypto people look at it and be like, oh, well, you know, what, what's the point of this? I just want to sit on my coins. Why would I spend my coins? Well, there's a lot of people that care if they save three or five percent. Um, there's a lot of people that care if they don't have to have dollars. Uh, there are people who prefer to keep less dollars in the bank and use less credit cards. Um, there are there is a use for this. The just the the coupon using community in the world is probably a hundred times larger than the crypto user base currently mm -hmm. is. For sure. um, is it everyone? No, um, but it's a huge market. It's a huge market that can potentially find a good deal of value uh, in something that cryptocurrencies can provide. And uh, we have to look outside of our own little bubbles and see where the opportunities are to serve markets that aren't us. Yeah, very well said. This is a great opportunity to wrap this thing up. Any final words? Um, I don't know. <laughs> such, uh, such wow. about such wow. Yeah. Usually yes. I have the doge pillow on that, on the stand over there. It got moved. I haven't put it back it, yet. The doge but, board, we haven't talked about doge. So yeah, but you have the doge you have the actual yeah. doge in back. So actual that's doge, cool. yes. yeah. Well, everyone, thanks for watching. If you are watching on Odyssey currently, first off, if you're not watching on Odyssey, but want to be, um, I have a link in the live chat a little bit higher up here. You can go to. Um, and if you are watching on Odyssey, then yeah, you can just stay where you are and, you know, continue on. Cause it's going to be the dash podcast next. I got to roll right into that one. So, uh, if you just want to watch on YouTube, it'll pop another one will pop up and stuff. So yeah. Thanks everyone for watching. Uh, follow Eric. I, what are you on Twitter? Evil duck 92 or something? Uh, yeah, I think I, think I don't post anything, but you can follow me if you want. Maybe someday I will. Yeah, maybe on Reddit too. I don't know. Someone was asking about your Reddit up there. So uh, my Reddit is E R I C O O L S, and I also well once in a while I post something. Yeah, Eric Ools. Not, well, not super active. If somebody wants to message me on there, I'll probably respond eventually. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so everyone would like, comment, share, subscribe, throw some coins, so there's some credits. Get ready for the Dash podcast. I will see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash thedesertlinks and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with ShopinBit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.